fighting, hatred, fear. Had enough of the noise? Welcome to Energetic Health Radio, and thank you so much for listening. And thank you for sharing all of the evidence that you can trust here on Energetic Health Radio and in my weekly articles uh, this week in COVID. You know, uh, I'm really honored to be on the America Out Loud Network. I'm really honored to have you listening in and really grateful for you and everything that you're doing. Uh, I know we have a lot of people out there doing a lot. You know, we have the great uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and, and his team. We have, you know, the work that my team is doing. We have the uh, work that, uh, you know, so many great selfless people are doing out there. But I want you to make sure you take some credit, too. You've been in this with us for two years. We are all in this together. And we are going to win. We're going to make this right. We have a lot of work to do but we're going to make this right. So make sure you give yourself some compliments along the way, because we couldn't do this without you. You couldn't do this without us. It's together that we stand. So folks, today I want to get into a simple question. What oath does every doctor take? That oath is to do no harm. And when we take an oath, what we're saying is we are making a sacred pact that when I put my name, my spirit, my energy to this pact, this oath, that it will be so for the entirety of my life. Oaths are unbreakable, or at least they should be. Today, we're going to be joined by special guests Molly and Andrew Anderson, two real and regular people, good people a loving wife and husband, who have a story to share. They have a story to share about what's going on in the hospitals for patients seeking life-saving treatments for something that's not COVID. You know, there are other things that people can need help with. People are going to need professional, compassionate medical attention for covid but also for other things. And we've been so hyper-focused on one thing with a 99.99% recovery rate in children under 18, a 99.82% recovery rate in people under 50. And we're over 46 million Americans have recovered from. This isn't an emergency. But if everybody keeps telling us it is, we wonder, are we missing something? No. You're not missing anything. It's not an emergency. You and I, we have been lied to. Sadly, the story that Molly and Andrew are going to tell is becoming a new normal for millions of good Americans just like them. And it's something we have to do all we can to make right before the new normal becomes normalized by the three evils. Greed, incompetence, and worst of all, 
indifference. Now, you know me, folks. I'm a WYSIWYG dude. What does that mean? It means what you see is what you get. Just like the fabulous dramatic song, right? What you see is what you get. I got a good heart. And I have the same issues everybody has right now. We've been in this fight way too long, longer than it ever should have lasted. There's so much wrong with what's going on. And I get delusioned some days, you know, I, I disillusioned. I said delusion. I'm delusional. Yeah, but I get disillusioned some days, you know, and my faith gets challenged. And I think that's what I want to be for you is that person you can trust, that voice that's reassuring, that person that lets you know what you're feeling is all right. And that everything is going to be all right because love always wins out. If you haven't listened to my family story, because I had a family member murdered uh, by the hospitals, by greed, incompetence, and indifference of the hospitals and our government and the pharmaceutical companies um, this past, uh, uh, just uh, two, uh, last week, actually, I mean, the days are blending, right? Well, I told that story thanks to uh, the great Malcolm out loud on his show Viewpoint this past Tuesday. So if you want to hear it, you can. Uh, and I would encourage you to because we point out the five ways that hospitals are killing our loved ones. That's murder, folks. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to back down on what I'm saying anymore. Fraud is fraud. Liars are liars. And murder is murder. Doesn't matter if it comes with a smile and an ICD-10 code. You can also read about it in the, I think it was uh, this week in COVID number nine. You can read about it in there. And I encourage you to share it. Evil thrives when we are isolated from each other, when we don't talk to each other, when we are separated and we have these petty things about somebody, if they're vaccinated, I'm not going to talk to them. If they're unvaccinated, I'm not going to talk. If they wear a mask, I'm not going to talk to them. If they're unmasked, I'm not going to talk to them. It's ridiculous. Don't take the bait of evildoers. I didn't care if somebody got a flu shot or didn't. So why should I care if they get a COVID shot or don't? I didn't care if somebody wore a hijab or didn't. So why should I care if they wear a mask or don't? I never cared if somebody had a little sniffles next to me in a store while I'm checking out before, so why should I care now? If I'm focused on keeping my body healthy and in control of what I can control using nutrition, using meditation and prayer, using love, logic, and light, then it doesn't matter what the person next to me is doing. And I'm not gonna live my life in fear of a sniffles, of an invisible boogeyman that somebody invented in a lab. My immune system was given to me by God. It's stronger than anything man could make. And when my time comes, my time comes. I can live with that because I want to live. I want to live in the pursuit of happiness, not the shackles of fear, right? Well, folks, we're publishing some, some bombs coming up. 
We are publishing on the vaccine breakthrough data. Vaccine breakthrough means this is how many times the vaccine failed to protect Americans. It's over 6 million now. It's coming out in this week in COVID number 10. We're also publishing a bonus segment on the hospital fraud. And I'm going to talk more about both of those topics next week. We've proven now that CDC has overcounted the number of COVID hospitalizations by 49%. And they're calling it incidental. It's not incidental. That suggests it's an accident. Now, I'm doing everything I can about this. And I know you're out there too. I know you're doing everything you can. And I want to keep encouraging you to do more. Share information from your heart for the betterment of all. I'm going to fight with you, alongside you, and for you with every fiber of my being until we win. Because that's what it's going to take. And I hope you'll join me in maybe creating a sacred oath with me along those lines. I've been told to teach four things this year, so I'm going to do that. Take no offense when you're slighted, when something doesn't go your way. I'm, ha I'm struggling with this right now. I'm going to be real with you. Speak truth. I think I'm doing a pretty good job there. Be selfless. I'm doing the best I can. And remain humble. You know, have faith that everything is perfect, even when it doesn't feel that way, that God wears a t-shirt that says, I got this. And on the back, it says, I've got you. This is how we're all going to do our part. So you know me, I'm a WYSIWYG dude. What you see is what you get. I'm a proud friend of God. I'm anointed as a blessing on January 5th of this year in a vision. So proud of that. I'm so grateful for it. I'm humbled by it. I'm going to do the best I can for you. I swear it. And all I'm doing is something that you're doing as well. Answering his call to service every day. And I'm going to keep doing it no matter how tired I get. Just like I have for the last 700 plus days. I know you're answering the call too, so hang in there. It's working. Share the grand jury petition. February is going to be a huge month for us. We've been putting some major things together, and you're going to love what, where it leads. I promise you that. And remember, it's united that we stand because there is no option of falling. We'll be right back after these messages with Molly and Andrew Anderson. Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Ready to take control of your health? At EHI, we'll help you tap into the power you already possess, heal what hurts, as you learn organic, evidence-based nutrition, botanical medicine, Eastern energetics, Western science, and so much more. Learn what every doctor should know, learn from people who really care, and love what you'll learn for a lifetime. Go to energetichealthinstitute.org and bring the joy of energetic health into your life. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages. 
is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am here today. We're joined by special guests, Molly and Andrew Anderson, two very incredibly dear friends of mine. Uh, and they have a story that they want to tell. And it's a story that I think many people uh, throughout our country are going to be able to resonate with and uh, identify with, uh, sadly, um, and hopefully identify, though, in a positive level with the success ultimately that they experience by persevering through a system that every day is proving uh, to be less and less designed um, for our benefit and more and more designed for profitability over people. Uh, Andrew and Molly, how are you both doing today? Doing good. Good. Good Thank to see you, you HL. <laughs> it's good to see you too, brother. All right. Well, we have some, we, we're in interesting times and uh, Molly, I got to say thank you for being with us today. Uh, it was a shock to learn uh, the, of the diagnosis of breast cancer, but it was a great pleasure to learn of your perseverance through it and that ultimately you are a success story in spite of all of the obstacles uh, that you had to face. Uh, it wasn't easy getting to where you had to go, but so I want to start and take people through kind of a chronological experience that both of you went through as a family. Let's start with the diagnosis. Uh, what can you share with us about what you went through, Molly? Yeah, so I um, actually found a lump in my breast. I was having some pain in my breast. Mm -hmm. So I laid down and did a self-exam and thought, well, that doesn't feel right. I should get into the doctor immediately. So I called and made an appointment with my gynecologist. And she said, yeah, it, it's something different. We need to get you tested. So, you know, pushed me through very quickly to getting a mammogram and then an ultrasound. Um, I had a feeling I knew, cause I know my body and I just, mm -hmm. you just know. And that's my, I mean, I think every woman should know their body well enough to know when something doesn't feel right. So that they then told me that I needed to get um, a biopsy done. Right. And I'd had one in the past, so it, it didn't scare me to get the biopsy, but I, it, in some aspects, I, I thought, mm, this doesn't feel right. So we didn't have insurance at the time. So the first thing I did was call Andrew and said, we need to get some insurance because mm -hmm. if this is something, I would rather have insurance now than not have it and have a diagnosis. Right. So we went through that process and got um, insurance in in the, in the interim, I was supposed to have my biopsy done. I had to push it off for two weeks until um, 
the insurance kicked in. And when I went in for my biopsy, the radiologist was incredibly rude and asked me like, well, where have you been? You know, you do realize you probably have cancer. My God. What? And I, I just kind of looked at her. I was like, okay, like, well, how are you supposed to react to that? And how, I did, just, how did you react to that? Well, I told her, I said, I didn't have insurance and I needed to get insurance. And one of the girls that was in the room, one of the younger girls that was studying under her just kind of made a quick little, well, you're a good reminder that we need to be more, um, we need to be gentler with people when they come in here because you never know what they're going through, right? So she kind of was saying something to the radiologist because she was so rude that I, like I didn't get there fast enough. How dare I? Why would I put that off? Right. It sounds like the the person evaluating you was blaming you for being sick. It was it was extremely accusatory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I wasn't taking it serious. <laughs> uh, well, Believe me, uh, I was taking it very serious. And, and you know, and, and how did you feel about that? You know, Molly, I mean, was that did that improve your trust in your you know, your desire to start working with these folks or did it start putting up some warning uh, flags for you? It definitely threw up warning flags. I mean, it, uh, you know, so we did the biopsy and then I got the phone call. I was at work and she said, well, it's exactly as I thought you have cancer. Here's the number for oncology. You should call them. Was there, was there any hint of compassion from her in the call? Zero. And it was, it's like, how do you drop a bomb like that on someone without any other explanation? Like I had to, and I understand that they generally call whoever orders the test and that's Mm -hmm. who they give the information to. And that's who kind of usually delivers the message. Mm -hmm. Um, So for her to call me and be so abrupt was very sort of, I was very taken aback by it. Um, And my gynecologist did call me later and we had a very good heart to heart talk about it. And, you know, she just said, yeah, you're going to be all right. Don't worry Mm -hmm. me. Even though the diagnosis was, was bad, it wasn't horrific. Like there have been worse. Right. So I was diagnosed with triple negative stage one breast cancer. Okay. The only thing I could focus on was the triple negative because everybody kept pounding into my head that this was the worst breast cancer you could have. And that more women die from this. Right than anything else. So that's what was being pounded into my head. It was this fear. From the start, like this is something you have to be afraid of. And it it sounds to me though, at least like you're having a spectrum of experience. On one hand, you're having this accusatory experience and this very dispassionate, you have cancer. It's just like I thought. But then on the other hand, you do still have good people who are saying, you know, hey, I care about you and we're going to sit and talk about this. I'm going to answer some questions and we're going to settle this down a little bit because we have to get in the right mindset to heal. Is that, is that what happened with the gynecologist? Absolutely. She was wonderful. Good. All right. So Andrew, let, let's switch over to you. Cause you know, one of the big things we've been hearing um, throughout the country has been that family members are just not allowed to be present with the people they love, you know, when, when the people they love need them the most. Um, you're, of course, and Molly's devoted husband and, and her primary care advocate, but you also have a history in that 
you have a background and associate's degree in medical billing and uh, processing uh, billing co- and coding. Yeah. So you, you're no novice at, at this at all. Um, and not only the billing side, but I've been in outpatient physical therapy and manual therapy for 15 years. I, you know, I'm a nutritionist and a personal trainer as well. So health and wellness is uh, my life. It's, it's what I do. It's what um, you do every day, right? Every day. Um, and I love what I do. So I am very uh, rabid in research and uh, always looking for what's out there, you know, as far as new standards of care for everything from cancer to diabetes, obesity, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you name it, orthopedic dysfunction, fascial dysfunction. Um, so in this case, I thought to myself, well, I mean, I, I understand all the medical jargon. I understand the terminology. I understand the disease. I, I want to be in the room. Right. Because I know I am going to be her best uh, advocate. So, um, unfortunately, I was completely hamstrung, you know, pretty much throughout the entire process, not only in the beginning, um, which made me feel that I was not a part of it and that I wasn't doing what I know I need to do in order to help. Right. Uh, because obviously, when something like this happens, um, you have to go as, as her husband, I went into an overdrive of like, okay, we're going to solve this problem. I mean, if there's ever a problem that I've been training to solve in my entire life, it was this problem. Amen. Right. Amen. So, um, that became my number one, uh, need, but unfortunately, you know, unable to be at any of the appointments in person. Um, there were a few, you know, tell like zoom appointments where I could be there via, uh, zoom, which was somewhat helpful, but it, it did seem as if I was always being held at a distance and it, it did negatively impact my ability, or at least it made me feel that way. Um, I think we were still able to, uh, do what we needed to do and make the decision, make the decisions that we needed to make, but it was a constant hurdle that had to be jumped uh, at every turn. You see, what's what's interesting to me, Andrew, about what you say is that you're the exact person a doctor wants standing next to their family. Uh, I can explain member. it. I can I can bring it down to uh, you know medicine for dummies. I can distill it to whatever point you need to distill it to, and understand it. But I can also tell you whether it passes the sniff test, right, um, and whether or not it is correct. And unfortunately, I think you know it. It was a negative for both those that were attempting to uh, that would want that help and that would mm-hmm. want that person to be in the room. But it's was good for the people who don't want another opinion or another uh, narrative to be proffered other than theirs. Um, so to be clear, you are restricted from being by Molly's side uh, f- because of the COVID hospital policies that have been adopted and put into play, that that no family advocates can be on. Well, uh, they present. weren't allowed no family members, period. Um, wow. Only the patient alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even beyond after that happened, um, the 
the hospitals in Chicago relaxed that rule to where one family member could uh, be present with the patient, but the clinic that we were getting chemotherapy treatment or that Molly was getting chemotherapy treatment at, they did not change their policy. They kept it um, where only the patient was allowed in the facility. All I could do was go use the restroom on the ground floor. That's as close as I could get. So basically you're sitting in the parking lot when Molly's in talking with the oncologists and, and people on that on that level. In the parking lot or going for a run or doing whatever I could do. Generally, I'd have to do something because otherwise I can't just sit there sure. uh, knowing that this is going on inside and I can't be a part of it. Because if I sit there, then I'm just going to end up going inside. <laughs> so we have, yeah, we have forced separation, right? Without statistical necessity, but forced separation. Molly, for you, um, what was it like not having Andrew by your side as you know, the results are being, the testing is being evaluated, the treatment options are being discussed, you know, and, and, and was this oncology team supportive of your, uh, of your input and your wishes? Um, it was really difficult because they, you know, they, they expected me, especially the oncologist that we were, where I went for chemo, expected me to make these decisions and she put pressure on me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she loves her studies and she would read me all these studies and tell me how statistically, you know, it was, this is what they're going to be doing. It may not be part of the treatment now, but in the future, it's going to be, you know, like this mm -hmm. is cutting edge and I'm going to practice on you. Right. Um, you know, and I just, I was like, I can't No, I'm not doing certain things and I'm not going to make these decisions without my husband. Like he has to be involved in this process. Right because he has my best interest at heart. I don't trust that you do. Right. So, yeah, so it was, it was difficult. It was very difficult to, um, I mean, you know, you make the best of it, right? I would, I found things that I love to do that I would do during chemo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, you know, it just was very difficult not having anyone to have a conversation with or to hold my hand or, you know, to tell me it was gonna be okay. Right. You're just there by yourself. You, no, you're, you're in a fight for your life. Your husband wants to be right next to you during that fight to ensure the most favorable outcome. And what these COVID policies are putting in place is a system in which you have to walk this road alone. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. Everybody in there was alone. Everybody in there is alone. Yeah, we, unless we, the only way they allow you to have someone with you is if they were doing cold capping, which is these freezer caps that um, help you to try to keep your hair from falling out. But if if you weren't doing that, no one else was allowed in with you. Wow. So it was everybody was in their pods alone. Some people were working. I would dance or exercise. Some people would just kind of sit around and read a book. You know, but it, it's it's very lonely. It's very difficult to to go through that. I mean, it, it's a it it just it's not fun. It's not fun at all. It sounds like a dystopian sci science fiction movie to me. It sounds like some Isaac Asimov or something like that that we're in right now. You had you know that we're looking at the body as we're looking at people as just their body. You know, we're not looking at each other for the humanity that is inherent to us all and that makes us really special, you know, um, 
you know, and Andrew, how humanity handles or or actually, you know, uh, influences our physiology. Amen. Because I mean, you're absolutely right. When I walk, because I did go into the treatment area mm -hmm. twice. I did mm -hmm. cold capping twice before we made the decision that uh, it wasn't going to work, and so mm -hmm. now I couldn't go. But when I went, I was uh, the first thought, and this is an honest thought. I don't think I've spoken it out loud, but when I walked in and I saw everyone sitting in the pods, I thought to myself, no wonder so many people die. Right. Because it was so depressing. Yeah. It was everybody exactly to you. Like everybody was alone. They were all just sitting in their cubicles and everybody, when you walk by would kind of give you that look up like, Oh, another person. Like how, you know, what another person could do for the, the way that someone feels and then how does, how someone feels actually translate into how they do. Right? It sounds like a look of longing. Like people are longing for that human connection and, and can somebody just tell me that you care about me and that everything's going to be all right. You know, we, we know there's no guarantees or promises when we have a, a significant and, and potentially life-threatening diagnosis. We all understand that. But the, there's so much incredible medicine in somebody holding your hand. There's so much incredible medicine in having somebody that's familiar and that loves you next to you. And there's so much medicine in people genuinely feeling like, man, this doctor, this nurse, they care about me. They care about me getting better. And, and, and what I'm getting the sense of is, so far through this story, we've had it with the gyne gynecologist, thank God, right? But it's not a routine experience during treatments. Is that a safe thing for me to say? Yeah, I would say that um, my nurse was amazing. I had the same nurse that mm. gave me my treatment every week, and she mm -hmm. was phenomenal. What's her name? I, I love to give people credit when, her when name we is have JP. JP. Um, oh. She, she was just a doll. All the nurses there were lovely. They were absolutely lovely. And so they would just laugh because I would be in my pot. I'd put my earbuds in and I would just dance because it right. made me happy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or I would walk around and I would talk to other patients. If they smiled at me, I was talking to everybody, you mm -hmm. know, because I knew how lonely I was in there. So it was like, let me make this connection with people. Right. So that they have, you know, and then they would start coming by my pod and talking to me right. and you know, making their way over. And it was so sweet because on my last day of chemo, I was, I had to wear these cold hands and booties so I couldn't dance. So I would sit in my chair and chair dance. Right. Right. And I had fallen asleep and my nurse came over, JP came over and woke me up. She's like, Molly, I have a surprise for you. Wake up. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up, everybody in their pods was chair dancing. Nice. It was so <laughs> sweet. It was just so lovely. And so, you know, you can make those connections and you just have to have a positive attitude. I felt going through it since I couldn't have Andrew by my side, I was going to be as positive as I could and just, you know, be as kind as I could to everybody in there. Amen. And see that, that just tells us that humanity perseveres, right? Even in the most dire of, of circumstances. So we're going to take a short break. We're going to come right back with uh, Molly and Andrew Anderson. Uh, they got a story for us about medical billing that I want you to be aware of. 
They got a story about declining treatment as every patient has a right to do. And we're going to talk about that. And then they're going to have, a, I think, a really great final message for everyone, uh, a message of hope for everyone that's going through uh, this experience. You know, this is not normal. It is not okay. And it cannot be our new future. You know, we need family members by our sides and we need doctors to stop this narcissistic trend towards uh, medical bullying and get back into the ethos of what we are supposed to be about, the oaths that we take to do no harm and to love the people that come to us for help. It's such a sacred relationship that gives us so much and it's not going to reemerge unless we decide that it's going to reemerge and we hold people accountable to be compassionate towards each other in very vulnerable situations like Molly and Andrew were in. So folks, we'll be right back with Molly and Andrew Anderson right after these messages. Folks, emergencies don't last for years. And from the outset, the CDC repeatedly violated federal laws to hyperinflate COVID data and defraud the American people. They lied while we died. They failed while we suffer. They profit while we fight for what's right. If you're tired of this new normal of willful misconduct and hospital policies that prevent family members from being present. If you're tired of the corruption, then fight for your freedom using love, logic, and light by signing the grand jury petition that can set us all free. Go to covidcon21.com to educate yourself on the alleged crimes that must be brought to justice. Join the more than 100,000 Americans and growing. Last count I got was it was over. We were approaching 125,000 Americans that had signed this, folks. We are going to push for a million or more if we need to. Join the more than 100,000 Americans demanding transparency, integrity, and accountability. Remember, this isn't a party issue. This is a freedom issue. We'll be right back after these messages with more Energetic Health Radio. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm here once again with Molly and Andrew Anderson, uh, a family that has some incredible insights to share with us about what's going on as we peel back the curtain of, uh, of what's happening in our hospitals, what's happening really in our medical profession. Uh, some of it's good, and that's great news. There are some good people practicing in these hospitals. There are some good doctors and some good nurses out there. It's so great to hear. Uh, and but there's some bad going on too. And some of it is completely unacceptable. And I think we're going to tell you a couple stories about that right now, or at least I'm not, I'm going to sit and listen. Uh, but let's get into uh, a little bit more of this story with uh, Molly and Anderson, right? Uh, excuse me, Molly and Andrew, forgive me, right now. Uh, Andrew, uh, with your background in medical billing and coding, you have a unique perspective on what goes on. Uh, there were some major problems with the billing. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, I mean, so first we we had transitioned insurances during uh, the care and upgraded to a Blue Cross Blue Shield policy uh, that this uh, place that we were going to, she was getting chemo and adjunctive therapy from. Mm -hmm. um, and after her first chemotherapy treatment, she was in the middle of getting a mammogram uh, for some more diagnostics that they needed. And uh, she gets a phone call from the front office of the place that we're going to, not the billing office, but the front desk person mm -hmm. who says, we have some problems with your billing. Uh, we, uh, we have a large bill that that's not being paid for. And um, you're going to have to pay this uh, if you're going to, continue to get treatment here. Wait a second. You're telling me that a front office person called a patient in diagnostics in effectively in treatment to, yeah. to harass them about to let her know that there were some problems that she needed to handle and she needed to look into because she had a bill for $15,000 oh that, and mind you, she was going to be going there the next day for the infusions of the high dose vitamin C, glutathione, mm -hmm. et cetera. So um, they wanted, payment, they wanted payment or they wanted some sort of payment or resolution that day. Mm -hmm. um, she just basically said, no, my husband handles that. Um, that's not the way that it is. So I went through the bill realized quickly that it wasn't processed properly mm -hmm. and that they were attempting to pass all of the costs off to us, not even the preferred medical providers discounted costs, but the actual cost wow. of the treatment. So that is first off, that's not acceptable. That's not a standard practice in any medical facility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you always give them the preferred. If a patient is going to be paying out of pocket, they pay the preferred medical provider rate. Right. Or a cash rate that's even more discounted than that. Right. Secondly, you don't have a front office person call the person and harass them. You send the patient a bill right. that you believe is proper, and then you wait for payment. And if there isn't payment, then you begin communications. And that takes not weeks, but months to go through this process. Correct, correct. This is immediately after treatment. And so once we contacted the insurance company and they confirmed that the, everything was processed incorrectly out of network, 
the claim was going to be put up for review and would be paid right at the preferred medical provider rate, which they were in network with, and that we don't have any legitimate charges on this bill. We handed it back to them. They said, okay, yeah, we'll take a look at it. They came back again saying now we owed $2,500 or some other amount of dollars. It just, it became this, like they were trying to, and eventually it, what the, the result was that they figured out that they did bill it incorrectly, that they had to go back and we didn't have any bill because we had satisfied all deductibles and all out-of-pocket expenses. And we knew that. But right. the problem is if, if you're not someone that is familiar with that industry or familiar with the process, you just think to yourself, while you're in the middle of a cancer diagnosis, trying to fight for your life and trying to help your uh, wife fight for her life, you're just going to pay the bill. Right. How many, that's my, that was the two thoughts I had, Andrew, was one, how many times does this happen accidentally, right? And families are like, look, I, I don't have time for this here. How much is it? Here's the money. Just take it and get out of my face. I, I focus on something else. You know, they went from 15,000 to 8,000, then it was 7,000, then it was 3,500, then it was 1,500. And then eventually there were, there was $21 of legitimate co-pays on that bill. $15,000 down to $21. See, that's an unnecessary expenditure of energy on your family's part. You need to and be- frustration right. And angst. Right. And she's freaking out because she thinks that I got some cut rate insurance right. for her treatment. <laughs> right. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I didn't do that. Well, I'm glad we can laugh about it now, right? I mean, yeah. that's the that's the blessing in all this. So, so Molly, uh, you know, we're getting the feeling that your care didn't feel personalized every step of the way, but it did at certain stages. Uh, in fact, there there was a moment though that you were telling me in pre-production where you were trying to uh, where someone was trying to force an unnecessary treatment on you, and they weren't respecting your right as a patient to refuse treatments. Can what what happened quickly? What what happened with that? Yeah. So um, when I originally started my chemo, I was told if uh, after four, my first four treatments, if my tumor had shrunk anywhere between 50 and 70%, that would be great. I was on par, you know, doing everything right. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't need any additional treatment. So I had gone for my mammogram. It was actually after my third treatment. And I had an appointment with my breast surgeon right after that. And she looked at everything and said, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm so thrilled with your progress. You're, you know, you're right. You're doing everything right. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, you'll mm -hmm. be great for when we get to surgery. Mm -hmm. And then when I went back to the place I was going to for chemo and met with the oncologist, she, she kind of uh, said, well, you know, I wish you would. I wish your numbers were better. And I said, what are you talking about? You said after four, this is after three. I haven't even gone to four yet. By four, I should be at 75%. Like right. my doctors at the hospital are thrilled. And she said, well, I'm going to have to suggest that we add this additional chemo to your second round. And right. I was like, no, I've done my research on it. And that's not, that's not for stage one. That's for a stage four cancer patients. Wow. They were, they, wait, they were advocating for you to use a stage four chemo when you're at stage one? Correct. Wow. In, in conjunction with 
or in addition to everything that I was already doing, that was the standard protocol for that was I'm already working. working, I think and is it what... was working. Correct. Right. Was okay. Um, so we, we just got into a fight. I mean, we were, I, we were, I was like yelling at her. She's reading me some stupid study telling me that I'm going to get like maybe a minute, uh, benefit from it. It was so minute. It was, it was laughable. And, you know, to question it, she just, she, I said, well, let me get my husband on the phone because this isn't a decision I'm going to make on my own. Right. He has to be involved. And he should be actually in there in the room with you, but let's at least get him on the phone. Right. Right. But at the time I'm not able to be in the He's not allowed to come with me. So I've got to call him and she starts reading him the study and he's like, well, that's stupid. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. The numbers don't add up. You're going to put more undue pressure on my body, right? You're going to stress out my body and add more poison and toxin to my body. And I'm trying to stay as healthy as possible. I'm coming here for all these wonderful vitamins and you're, you know, you're supposed to be this healing place. And that's what I came here for, to have that more individualized treatment. Right, right. And now you're trying to put more poison in my body, but why? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Statistically, it was three to five percent additional shrinkage of the tumor that she might get. That I might get. It's not even guaranteed. So the 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 benefits are not outweighed by the risks, obviously, in this in this situation, right? So so now you're you you ultimately decline, and ultimately because you held your ground on it, which is a hard thing to do when you have somebody in a white coat, you know, pressuring you. You yeah. held your ground. What what did ultimately that uh, same uh, was it a nurse? Uh, it, is it was my oncologist? What what ultimately did your oncologist come back and say to you after the fact, after you had declined it and and everything? So we declined, and she basically said, "Well, it's your body, it's your treatment. You can make the decision." You know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You're right. It is my body, and that's my choice." And I discussed it with my husband, and we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. And then when I was getting ready, I finished my treatment. I was getting ready to leave. My nurse came by and said, okay, um, you know, the doctor wants to see you and do a manual check. And I was like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So she goes in and I had told her there, you know, you couldn't even feel the tumor anymore. It was like, they couldn't even find it on the mammogram. They had to do an ultrasound to find it. Okay. All good and signs. Those are great things. Great things. These are fantastic. This is why my surgeon was so thrilled at the right. hospital. Right. Um, so she does a breast exam and she can't find it. And she's looking and looking and checking and looking. And she finally said, you're right. I can't find a tumor. She's like, well, I think you made the right decision. <laughs> no, thanks I mean, to you. I about fell off the table. I'm like, you don't think this is pertinent information that you should have had before you tried to push Right. Some drug on me that I don't need. And I'm so gonna... without that drug, it ended up even when I did have my breast surgery, there was no sign of cancer whatsoever in the mm-hmm. breast, in the nipple, in the lymph nodes. We got all of it. Nice. Without Which is... that additional treatment. That's huge, right? I mean, listen, you said it best right there, Molly. It's my body. It's my choice. Give me the information and then treat me like an adult. Let me consult with other people, get a second opinion, talk to my loved ones who are who are working their butts off to, to do their research on this. And 
And then we'll come back and, and tell you, I mean, I, I just can't help but feel some of this is interlinked to having increasing the bill, you know, that it's just here, we're going to put another billable therapy on mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever happens, happens. We don't care. We're making money whether you live or whether you don't. Well, and I think it's also more to the degree like, oh, you're going to live. You may have horrible pain and suffering, but like you're absolutely, but that's, it's, it's still in the name of good and I'll be able to bill for two drugs. Right. And I'll be able to bill. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, Andrew, um, you know, and, and we're coming up against it, but I want to get a couple of quick questions in if we can. We have, And then I want to get you both of your final thoughts on this. Um, and again, thank you both for sharing your story. This is incredible. And I, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be able to relate to this in a, in a very big way. And maybe that helps produce some change, you know, because to me, that's what these stories are about. They're, they're, they're signals that hopefully inspire us to say, you know, we can do better than this right? People going into these situations deserve better than this. So Andrew, as an avid researcher, you and uh, Molly were uh, advocating for supportive treatments like high dose vitamin C, glutathione, quercetin, and, and more. Um, and, and what was the major hospital's reaction to you and Molly's desire uh, as patient to be more inclusive of things that are alternative? Uh, they were not uh, supportive at all. I mean, it was something that they uh, basically uh, scoffed at and, and uh, said that they didn't feel that there was any evidence to support the need for those, those drugs, those compounds. So um, we just decided to forge ahead and, and do on our own uh, what we were certain was going to at minimal, make Molly more resilient uh, for the treatment that she was going to undergo, uh, and that, yeah. I know. So um, we just forged ahead and, and went that route. You, you know, you just sometimes you got to say, you know, you, you know what gets me, Andrew. Sometimes when I talk to doctors in, in hospitals and and things like that, they interject their feelings into the situation, I think sometimes, and I think it's really inappropriate. Like if you don't do what they say, they get offended. You know, if you don't want to follow and do exactly what they're telling, they get offended. If you bring something new to the table that they're not hundred percent familiar with, they either have to pretend that they know more about it than they do, or, uh, or they just shoot it down, just outright dismiss it. And I think it comes down to this, this ego trip that they're on where they're, it's like, listen, this patient isn't here for you. <laughs> this patient is here to get better. You know, your job is to help them get better. Your emotions don't matter right now to this situation. A little humility would go a long way. So Andrew, Andrew, as a family advocate, you know, you've learned a lot through this process. Um, uh, feel free to share anything that you want to about that, but I would love for you to give some advice to the people listening uh, who might be in similar situations as family advocates. What, what, what should we be doing if we want to be the best family advocate we can be for our loved ones? I think the best that we can do is educate ourselves uh, deeply about whatever uh, the disease process uh, is, whatever the uh, what's going on, and uh, then don't deviate from you know it, you have to trust in that you are you can understand these things you can. Uh, learn the technical jargon. You can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like you mm -hmm. have the capacity, particularly under those circumstances, and just trust in yourself and trust in your gut instincts uh, that uh, that you know 
what is best for you um, and your loved one and, and just continue to fight for it and push for it uh, regardless of what you may run into. Amen. Yeah, we, we say facts don't have feelings. If you have great facts and you have a good gut instinct on it, you know, go with it, right? Trust it. That's, that's what's going to lead you to where you're trying to get to. Now, Molly, uh, same thing here. And again, thank you both so much for being here. This is fantastic. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing this story with us. So as a, a patient who's beaten cancer, what are some of the things that you learn in the process and what advice can you give to people listening who might be in similar situations as you, you were in? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, know your body, like know what, when something doesn't feel right, but also you know, know that they're, they're, the doctors mean well, right? There's a lot of really good doctors out there. And I don't think that any of them were intentionally trying to hurt me. I think that they just were doing their job the way they best see fit. And I had a lot, a lot of great nurses and doctors. So really do your research on who you're, what doctors you want to use. Um, do your research on your disease. I mean, Andrew jumped in and he, he got me on a different diet and he had me intermittent fasting and doing mm -hmm. all these things that he found worked really well for triple negative breast cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know about other breast cancers, but for this one, he just dove in head first and said, these are the things that we need to do. <laughs> right. So we did our research and it, it feels overwhelming in the beginning because it feels like there's so much information coming at you. So I would say, stop, take a breath, mm -hmm. you know, um, let the information settle. Don't be in a hurry to make a decision because they will tell you that it is you know, you have to make that decision right then and there and very quickly. Um, but you have the right to sit back and say, you know what? No, I don't have to make this decision right now. Right. I can go home and do my research and I can figure this out and, and take the time to trust. Like you guys were talking about, trust your instinct on it. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. There you go. You have a right to say no. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's a right that, that a lot of people don't feel like they have. You know, even yeah, with and, you know, doctors research. are human, they make mistakes as well, right? And so we have to give them that. Amen. I think to some degree they work in a system that now is set up in such a manner that it creates that sense of you know the the wizard of oz behind the curtain, and mm -hmm. they want it just kind of you roll through and you just do as you're told. Um and a lot of people will just go along with things that they hear from perfectly well-meaning doctors, but without the proper information or context that could be very problematic. Amen. Right. Well said. Very well said. So uh, thank you both for being on Energetic Health Radio and sharing this story. Again, um, this is a powerful story. It's uh, something that is uh, certainly going on uh, far too frequently uh, in our country. And it's uh, because of love and it's because of um, that, you know, that love said, you know what, I'm going to dive in head first and I'm going to be here. And no matter, you know, what they try to keep me away from, I'm going to be right here by your side and we're together going to figure out our way through this. And then Molly, your perseverance is just inspiring, you know, to have that attitude that no matter what, even though you're trying to isolate me and have me alone as I'm going through treatment, I'm going to dance. I'm going to dance my way. <laughs> 
I'm going to dance my way into, into healing. I mean, I think that's, that's the attitude, right? You made the decision from day one. Okay. I, I got some bad news, but that bad news doesn't have to define me, you know, that I can yeah. still be defined by who I really am, which is a, a great and powerful spirit on this earth. So here are my final thoughts. Let's keep everything simple. There's so much information out there. We're on information overload. We're all drinking through a fire hose, right? Let's keep it simple. This is wrong. What's going on is wrong. It's intentionally wrong. It's been incentivized to be wrong. And it's our duty to make it right. Check out that grand jury petition, folks. We need you. We need you. Share it. We need you. We got some big things coming in February. We need you. Next week, it'll be just you and me reviewing how many times the experimental shots have injured Americans, how many times the experimental shots have failed to protect Americans, and how the hospital industry is profiting off of fraud, malpractice, and murder. Remember, our path to victory has four divine challenges for us all. To take no offense, to speak truth, to be selfless, and to remain humble. May our creator shine his divine light down upon us, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. I'm Dr. Henry Ely for Energetic Health Radio and the Energetic Health Institute. Until next week, aloha and adios.